Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, welcome to all of you here at Central Campus, as well as those of you who are watching online. And those of you who are meeting together at one of our campuses in Airdrie, at our Bridgeland campus, our South Campus, meeting at St. Mary's University College, and our Northwest Campus, meeting at the Crowfoot Theaters. So let me ask you, what do you think the secret is to long life? I want you to turn to the person next to you, and if you've never met before, here's your chance to meet someone new. You might have to scooch over a couple of seats and say hello to somebody, and, uh, but just address that issue. Um, what do you think the secret is to a long life? Go ahead. Share it with someone. Okay, so what is the secret to long life? In last night's service, I heard people say things like forgiveness, eating right, exercise, honoring your parents, good idea. One fellow got poetic and said, a happy wife is the key to a long life. And I couldn't agree with him more. Amen. Now, all of these play a role, of course, but according to the experts, the number one indicator of a long life is this. People live longer when they enjoy or are content with the work that they do. Work satisfaction, say the experts, is one of the major keys to long life. Okay, so now that you know that, I'm wondering how many of you feel that you may die at any moment? (laughs) Yeah. You know, research has shown that only one-third of the workforce are satisfied and fulfilled in their work. Almost two out of three people say if they could have a different job, they would. Not a very encouraging picture. One author put it this way, for many people, work requires them to spend hours every day in a place they don't want to be, with people they don't really like, doing a job they really don't enjoy, for a paycheck that is never really enough. Now, hopefully that doesn't describe how you feel toward work, because even though every job has its challenges and its frustrations, if your work is draining you more than energizing you, the odds are really high that you are aging far more rapidly than God ever intended. As I talk with people, my sense is that many people today see work as little more than getting a paycheck to pay the bills and to do the things that they really want to do in life. I mean, let me ask you, if you won the lottery for, let's say, $5 million, would you quit working like most do when they win a big windfall like that? Would you quit? 
I mean, why do you work? We asked some Calgarians that question. Watch this. Why do you work? Um, Because I like the lifestyle that it gives me. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't really work, I'm a student. (laughs) I think uh, work is a part of our our culture too. It's something that uh, makes us feel proud of ourselves. Why do I work? Um, Partially for the money, partially for something to do with my time, a sense of purpose in life, all that good stuff. Tell me why you work. I don't, I'm retired. Okay. (laughs) Why did you work? How about that? Ah, because I like the job. I think also to keep yourself busy. I'd be so bored if I didn't work. Um, Pretty much, uh, quite honestly, to have something to do. Why do you think most people work? Most people probably do it primarily for economic reasons. Uh, To earn a living. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, pay for bills. Um, Exactly the same reason. (laughs) (laughs) For money. Probably to pay the bills. Uh, Because they need the money, probably. (laughs) I mean, to me, uh, money is not that important. I always felt like the more I make, the more debt that I get into, so. I work um, because I enjoy being productive and I enjoy the work I do. Yeah, and for money, of course. (laughs) So as you can see, most people see work as kind of a necessary evil, as a means to have the lifestyle that they want. And as a result, many live you know, from one coffee break to another, and their favorite expression is TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Now, this is truly unfortunate because on average, we spend somewhere around 100,000 hours of our lives or upwards of 40% of our entire life working. And if you are a homemaker, you could pretty much double that percentage. And so given this reality, I believe it is crucial that we examine the scriptures and we get God's perspective on work. But before we get into the scriptures, I want to point out that I'm using the term work very deliberately. Because there's a difference between employment and work. Though all employment is work, not all work is employment. A homemaker, for example, is not paid for managing the home and the family, but I dare any chauvinist or any feminist to suggest that what a homemaker does isn't work or isn't important. Furthermore, a student studying in school or college is working. Similarly, any volunteer who performs a task is working, even though they receive no monetary compensation. Now, I also need to say this. I am fully aware that that some people are unable to work. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul challenges us to work, and he says the one who is unwilling to work will not eat. Pretty strong language. But I want you to notice he said unwilling to work, not unable to work because of ill health or some other legitimate reason. However, even if you are unable to work at a regular 9-to-5 job, if you are able to volunteer, or if you're able to work in any other way, the scriptures teach that that pleases God because he wants us to use our time, 
and our abilities that he's given to us for his glory and for the common good of man. And so with that in mind, let's examine what the Bible teaches about God's plan for work. To begin with, work originates with God. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. And just kind of keep it open there because we're going to be spending some time in Genesis today. The very first verse in the Bible says, In the beginning, God created. The Bible starts out not only assuming the existence of God, but describes him as creating or working. God spoke. God made. God put things in their proper place. Where there was chaos, he brought order. Where there was darkness, he introduced light. He created the universe. He created the earth. He created the creatures of the earth, and we know that he also, of course, created us. He created human beings. And God said, it was all good. In Genesis 2, verse 3, we read, Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. He set the pattern. We are to work six days, and we're to rest on the seventh day. Notice he didn't call us to rest six days and to work one day. No, God saw work as a very good thing, something that most of our week is supposed to be devoted to. Now, this idea of God being a worker and being excited about work was totally foreign to ancient cultures. In ancient cultures, work was considered demeaning. It was a drudgery. It was fit only for inferior people like the lower classes and the slaves. Superior people, well, they did not work. No, superior people enjoyed lives of leisure and contemplation and beauty. You know, in Greek mythology, we have the account of Pandora's box in which Zeus gives Pandora a jar And he says to her, don't open it. Big mistake. Like a typical woman, she ignores his warning. And she opens it anyways. And all that's wrong with the world comes pouring out of Pandora's box, including death, disease, decay, cats. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) I just couldn't resist. Anyways... Sorry about that. But anyways, no. All the bad in life comes out of that box, including death and disease, decay, and work. That's how ancient cultures saw work. It was a bad thing. And yet imagine what a shock it must have been for people in that day to read Genesis and to realize that God works. God works, and he is still working today. In John 5, 17, Jesus says, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, God continues to work upholding and sustaining the universe. Psalm 121, verse 1 says, He watches over us continually. That's the first truth that we see in Scripture. Work originates 
with God. The second truth is this. God calls us to join him in his work. A common misconception today is that work is God's curse or God's punishment for sin. In other words, people believe that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, rebelled against God, among other things, God said to them, okay, you blew it. And so from now on, you're going to have to pay for your disobedience by working. But the truth is, God called us to work before our first parents sinned in the garden. Not after. Look over at Genesis 2, verse 15. This is what it says there. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. You see, work was part of God's original design for us. He intended work to be a gift, a blessing, not a curse. In essence, God said to man, you know, I've had so much fun creating the earth, I want you to join me in taking care of it. God never intended for us to just sit around in the shade, enjoy the view, and drink lemonade all day. No, God calls us to be his co-workers. Here in the creation account, God calls Adam and Eve to tend the plants and the shrubs in the garden so they will produce more fruit. God calls them... Uh, to name the animals, which was a lot more complicated than you might think. In the original language, to name an animal meant you really understood its nature. So that meant studying the, the characteristics of an animal and then naming it accordingly. And of course, God calls Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to mul multiply, to have children. It was a tough job, but somebody had to do it. And those offspring would need to be protected and loved and cared for and educated. And again, God called our first parents to do this before they rebelled against him. It was part of his original design for us to work. In Genesis 1.26, God says this, Let us... By the way, us refers to the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This tells us that we have great dignity and value as God's co-workers. Our ability to work separates us from the rest of God's creation. He designed us to work. He gave us abilities and skills and physical strength to work. He gave us intelligence and minds that can reason and compute and imagine and create. He even gave us the raw materials on this planet that we can use to develop and create useful things with like homes and cars and dishwashers and video cameras and mobile phones, all of which man has improved substantially over the years. And some of you are old enough to remember the original portable phone. I remember the first time I saw one, I was in my teens, I saw a rich man walking around with with the thing at a construction site. 
It was the size of a brick. And it had a big black antenna sticking out of it. I heard it cost some ridiculous amount. And I wondered why anyone... I mean, this is so funny how time changes, but I wondered how anyone would want a portable phone to begin with. And even more, why anyone would pay big bucks to lug that brick around. Now, in that day, that brick of a phone was state-of-the-art and something to celebrate. It was a great achievement of man, but it was nothing compared to the small, sleek, advanced, and powerful cell phones that all of us have today which reveals man's incredible creative ability that's given to him by God to bless others. You see, we are created in God's image, and we do something very God-like when we work. Work originated with God, and God calls us to join him in his work. Furthermore, all work matters to God. Dr. Glenn Sunshine from the Colson Center, he writes this, I once attended a church that essentially taught that if you were serious about your faith, you'd become a missionary. If you were less serious, you'd become a pastor. <clears throat> and anything else, you were presumably a slacker and not committed to God's call. Now, Lest there be any doubt, we've never taught that in this church because it is not biblical. I mean, in fact, as Christ followers, we are all called to be missionaries. Amen? We're all missionaries in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, or wherever it is that God calls us and, or God takes us. So we're all missionaries. We're his representatives. However, one of the reasons that I'm doing this little mini-series on work after the Sermon on the Mount series is because some people come to the conclusion that if they're serious about God, any spiritual work can only be done in the context of full-time ministry. I want to ensure that no one concludes, as some people do, that you can't serve the kingdom of God where you work. But that kingdom work can only happen outside of work. Like when we volunteer in children's ministry or go on a missions trip or serve in a soup kitchen downtown. Now, I want to be clear. These things I just mentioned and many others are very important. And thankfully, God does call people to serve in this way. But I want to emphasize that God also calls us to represent him and to serve him in the workplace. You see, we often assume that in God's mind there is a chasm between the sacred and the secular, between spiritual work and non-spiritual work, between the work God is doing on Sunday and the work we're doing on Monday. But here's the thing. The Bible calls us to glorify God in whatever we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so, what, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul says that our highest calling is to glorify God in all that we do. And that includes the way that we work, the quality of our work, the attitude that we have at work. 
All work, whether you're a student or an architect or a doctor or a doorman, all work reflects the work of God in creation. Kevin Kim points out that in Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God brought order out of chaos and took the raw material of creation and brought newness out of it. In the same way, we read that God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to cultivate it and to develop its raw materials. And so today, when we take the raw materials of the earth and we use our creativity to develop them for the common good of man, we are fulfilling the creative purposes of God. Let me give you some examples of this. God wants people to have shelter and food. And so if you are a farmer and you are devoting yourself to producing food for the people in your community, or if you are a contractor and you take sand, cement, and wood, and you create a home to shelter and to bless someone, whether that's here in Canada or whether that's in the third world somewhere, you are fulfilling in part the purposes of God in your life. God loves beauty. And so if you are an artist or a painter or a musician and you take the raw material of color or sound and arrange it into something beautiful for others to enjoy and to give praise to God, you are fulfilling in part God's purposes in your life. God cares about justice. And so if you are a judge or a lawyer and you take principles of justice that honor God and his word and you codify them into laws that benefit society, you are fulfilling in part the purpose of God in your life. God cares about our health. And so if you are a physician, a nurse, a therapist, a medical researcher, a nutritionist, and you invest your life in helping people to be healthy and to remain healthy, you are fulfilling in part the purpose of God in your life. God values economic growth. And so if you are an entrepreneur and you take the raw material of ideas and, and human resources and you create a product or a business that didn't exist before, that not only benefits mankind, but also provides work for those in need of meaningful work, you are fulfilling in part God's purpose in your life. God wants children to be loved and nurtured and challenged to be all that God created them to be. And so if you're a parent or a grandparent, a teacher, a coach, a childcare worker, and you are bringing forth lessons and learnings and drawing out children's God-given potential, then you are fulfilling in part God's purposes in your life. God values order. And so if you're a manager of people, or an administrator in charge of offices, or a homemaker in charge of a household, and you are leading in a godly way, then you are fulfilling in part God's purpose in your life. God values peace and safety 
And so if you're a government official, a soldier, a fireman, a police officer, and you invest your life in keeping law and order and protecting people from harm, you are fulfilling in part God's purpose for your life. You see, when we work and we use the knowledge and the abilities and the skills that God has given to us to make life better for the people that God loves, for the world that he created, we are not only doing good work, we are doing God's work. So this is what the scriptures teach about God's plan for work. What are the implications of all of this? Well, first of all, our work matters to God. Tim Keller writes, everyone wants to be successful rather than forgotten. And everyone wants to make a difference in life. But that is beyond the control of any of us. If this life is all that there is, then everything will eventually burn up in the death of the sun and no one will be around to remember anything that has ever happened. Everyone will be forgotten. Nothing we do will really make any significant difference and all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught. Unless, he writes, there is a God. If God of the Bible exists, and there is a true reality beneath and behind this present reality, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling, can, can matter forever. Our work has little value in itself. But when you include God in the picture and his grand scheme of creation and what he's trying to accomplish in our world, our work has great value. Which is what the Bible promises in 1 Corinthians 15, that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Apart from the Lord, it is in vain, but not in the Lord. Our work matters to God. A second implication is this. Our work is equally valuable to God. In our culture, certain types of work are rewarded more than others with greater prestige and higher pay. Not so in God's kingdom. God's kingdom, remember, the values of God's kingdom are counter-opposite to many of the values that our culture embraces. And work is one of them. You see, for the Christian... There is a difference between our vocation and our occupation. In our culture, we often use vocation and occupation interchangeably. You know, for example, ask a plumber what his vocation is, and he'll say, well, it's a plumber. Ask him, well, what's your occupation? And he'll say, well, it's a plumber. Many people just use the terms interchangeably. And yet the word vocation in the original language means to call. A vocation is literally a calling. As Christians, we are called by God to be his representatives in the world, to be salt and light, but also to be his hands and feet 
in caring for his creation and the people of his creation. Hence, we Christians can have various occupations or jobs, but we all have one vocation. We all have the same calling. What that means is that in God's eyes, we're all one. And what we do for him is equally valid and valuable because we all have the same calling. There are no first-class Christians or second-class Christians because of our varying occupations. Even though we see that in our culture around us, that is not the way God's kingdom works. In God's eyes, our calling makes the janitor at corporate headquarters as special and valuable as the CEO. Since both belong to Christ and both are called to serve and to represent Christ through their lives and their work. Every job is vital to accomplishing God's purposes and promises in our world, regardless of how insignificant we may think our particular work is. It is a link in the chain of what God is trying to do for his creation and in his creation. It's a valuable link. Martin Luther, the famous German reformer, he explained it this way many years ago. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread. And he gives us our daily bread by means of a farmer who planted and harvested the grain, the baker who made the flour into bread, and the person who prepared our meal. Today we could add so many other layers to that, couldn't we? The people who... who created the machines that the farmer uses to plant the seed, the people who service the machines, the people who provide the fuel for the machines, and on and on it goes. Lester de Coster elaborates even more. He says, imagine that everyone quits working right now. What happens? Civilized life quickly melts away. Food vanishes from the shelves. Gas dries up at the pumps. Streets are no longer patrolled. Fires burn themselves out. Communication and transportation services end. Utilities go dead. Those who survive at all are soon huddled around campfires, sleeping in caves, clothed in raw animal skins. The difference between a wilderness and a culture, a civilized culture, is simply work. When we think of it this way, we're reminded that whether we do surgery, whether we stock shelves, repair computers, are pastors, homemakers, all are valuable in God's eyes. And there are few better ways to love and to honor our Lord and to love our neighbor than to simply do our work to the best of our ability and with a spirit of gratitude to God for the privilege of serving him and glorifying him through our work. Now, friends, you let this truth sink in and it will revolutionize your attitude toward your work, whatever it is. You'll never again feel like you have a nothing job for all honest work 
done for the Lord is sacred. It is essential to the furtherance of God's kingdom as any other work. On the other hand, all work done for the glory and the benefit of self, regardless of how prestigious or how successful it may be in the eyes of other people in our culture, that work will burn in the end. Only what is done for Christ is going to last. And then finally, if we truly believe God created us to work rather than to punish us with work, we will have a new attitude toward both work and leisure. If we really believe that work is a gift that God has given to us, then we will not look at our work as something that we have to hurry up and get over and get done with so that we can get on with fun and with play. Rather, we would look at our play and our rest the way God intended it in the first place, as a change of pace that refreshes us and recalibrates us for the delightful purpose of getting back to the work. Whether that's employed work, whether that's volunteering or whatever that God has called us to. This will even change our perspective on retirement. Listen carefully. We've all heard people say they can't wait to retire so they can finally be free to enjoy life. Haven't you heard people say that? Can't wait to retire. I mean, don't you find it rather odd that so many people spend the best years of their life, their youthful years, doing what they don't really want to do? So in the final few years of their lives, when their minds, their health, and their stamina is flickering and threatening to shut down completely... They can do what they really want to do. I mean, we really don't understand God's plan for work. If we believe that the good life begins when we stop doing what God has called us to do. Friends, there is no retirement in the Christian life. Hate to say it, but that's the truth. Retirement is a time to slow down a little bit. Mm -hmm. But as long as your health permits to stop working altogether just because you can afford to is to miss God's call in your life. God did not put you on this planet to just take up space, to breathe air, and to live for yourself. I mean, he may as well take you to heaven right away. You're here for a purpose. If you're alive, if you're able, God calls you to make some kind of contribution with your life for his glory. That may involve volunteering. It may involve praying. Whatever it is, you're here for a reason. My question is, have you been listening to the voice of God? Are you obeying the assignments that he's giving you? You matter to God. And so does the work that you do in his name. And one day in heaven, you're going to be so glad that you did because you're going to see that your work was not in vain. 
I'll close with this. Elmer Bendener tells the remarkable story of a B-17 bomber that flew a bombing mission over Germany in the latter days of World War II. The plane on its return was hit several times by shells and flak with some of the hits directly in the fuel tank. And yet, miraculously, the plane did not explode. When it landed, they, they took the fuel tank apart because this was a great mystery. And what they found in that bullet-riddled fuel tank inside were 11 unexploded 20-millimeter shells. The shells were dismantled. And to the amazement of everyone, all were empty of explosives. Inside one of the shells was a note written in Czech. Translated, it read this. This is all we can do for you now. A member of the Czech underground working in a German munitions factory had purposefully omitted the explosives on his assembly line. That worker must have wondered often if the quiet work that he was doing to subvert Hitler's war effort was going to make any difference whatsoever to the outcome of the war. He may have died wondering, were my puny efforts making any difference? And you know, friends, so it is with our work. We may not see now the difference our work is making in God's kingdom work. But regardless of how insignificant we may feel that our work is in the grand scheme of God's kingdom work, we can rest in the promise and the assurance that the work we do in his name is not in vain. Again, 1 Corinthians 15 says, Therefore, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Church, a day is coming when we will know this to be true. We will see with the clarity of eternity that nine to five job done in the Lord was not in vain. That Sunday school ministry, that investment in youth, that service in the church kitchen done in the name of Jesus was not in vain. That act of mercy, that act of generosity done in the name of Jesus was not in vain. That investment of time, loving, nurturing, and discipling my children, my adopted or a foster child, was not in vain. Would you please stand with me for closing prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word and how its truth sets us free. Lord, you know our hearts. Lord, you see the hearts of those who have been resenting their work as a homemaker. You see the hearts of those who have been resenting the obscurity of their work, perhaps at work or perhaps in the church, and have therefore had a negative spirit and not given you their very best. 
You see the hearts of those who've been basking in the success of their occupation or their business. And Lord, they become proud and selfish and greedy and self-centered. And somewhere along the way, they've lost sight of your calling in their lives. It's become all about them and what they have. Lord, hear us. Hear us as we repent of these things right now. And by faith, Lord, we embrace your calling for our lives. I pray for those who are here who have lost a job, are looking for one, are just struggling perhaps in their work. I pray that you would honor their sincerity and help them find work that would allow them to fulfill your calling in their lives. And Lord, I pray for myself and our church that we would do our work, whether paid or unpaid, to the best of our ability, with enthusiasm, wholeheartedness, and with a love and a sensitivity to others. And most importantly, as unto you, for your glory and for the sake of those who need the Jesus that we know and love. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.